This afternoon, we're going to go back into the Word. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we ask God to be with us. So let's pray together. Our Father, thank you so much for thy Word. Thank you that we can have the opportunity to consider it. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. The young man was uh, named Steve Pritchard, and Steve came out to our training seminar. He was back in the early, mid-1990s. But when Steve arrived, I was surprised that he came to learn how to do evangelism. Now, the reason I was surprised is because Steve happened to be handicapped, severely handicapped. Um, he he kind of walked with his arms like this and his hands hung like this. His legs were kind of uh, bent inward, and when he walked, he actually walked like this. Uh, his face was a little bit slanted, and when he talked, he talked with a, a stutter. And when I saw him, the thought that came to me was, why did they send him. I knew the church that had sent him because I had started the work of ministry as a Bible worker in that particular church. And I knew that they had 250 members and it's a very active church. And so my thoughts questioned the wisdom of the brethren sending Steve. But as I was thinking that way, I'm thankful for the Spirit of God that speaks to our hearts and uh, gently rebuked me for thinking that way. And I, then I thought, well, if they sent him, I'm going to train him. So we, we, uh, in those days, we were doing a, a one-week training program. And so we then ran the program. He was very faithful, very attentive. He caught what we were saying, and he went back. In those days, we would only give a diploma once a person went back and actually did an evangelistic meeting. Now, you can well understand expecting this fellow who stuttered to do an evangelistic meeting, but that was a requirement. And it was not my responsibility, it was now the responsibility of the church to utilize him. I didn't hear from Steve for about a year. And finally, when uh, the phone rang, it was Steve. Pa -pa 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 Pastor uh, Torres. This is Steve, Steve. It's Steve, how are you doing? He said, great, 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 great. He said, uh, can I get my diploma now? I said, Steve, did you do a meeting? Yeah, 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 yes. So I said, so what happened? He said, ten, 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 ten souls were baptized. <laughs> I said, uh, excuse me, Steve. He said, ten, 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 ten souls were baptized. Uh, I still was doubtful. So I said, Steve, can you send me some pictures? He said, yes, but will I get my diploma? I said, yes, you send me the pictures. Well, I'll send you the diploma. <laughs> and so the pictures arrived. And there were 10 people standing with Steve, none handicapped. 
The church where Steve was placed to hold a series of meetings was a church uh, out in the boonies. Uh, in fact, it was in the area where the uh, particular group of people called Amish happened to dwell in, and the Mennonites. And the church was surrounded by a cemetery, or should I say the road was there, and uh, it, it, it was right in front of the cemetery. And I knew the church quite well because it was a church of Moravian believers, and the Moravian uh, people were dying off. The kids no longer wanted to necessarily uh, be identified with that particular uh, culture any longer. And so they were moving away, going off to university, etc. And the old folk were dying off. And so you can well understand a church by a cemetery, right? <laughs> dying off. That's when they put Steve to hold his evangelistic meeting. And frankly, I was surprised that they did that. I thought that they would rather have placed him where he could have a chance of having success in the church that had the 250 members. But they put him in a place where there was a chance of failure. Exactly. But you know, what's amazing is that I was told by people that when Steve was down on the floor, he stuttered. But when he got up to preach, he did not stutter. And that was amazing. What do you say? And so God then blessed Steve Pritchard. And when another church heard that he had had that kind of successful blessing from God, they also invited him to go and do their evangelistic meeting. Well, I was humbled by the reality that God can make a difference in people's lives. What do you say? Amen. And it's not about who we are. It's about who God is. And I think we need to remember that. What do you say? Amen. The scripture that I'm sharing with you today, and the title of the presentation is New Wine, Old Bottles. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I'd like to read to you what the Master says. In the book of Luke, it's where we are, book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and for those of you out there in uh, television land, if you have your Bibles in your living room, you can well take them out and participate with us. Luke chapter 5, and notice what the Bible says in verse 36. And he says, No man putteth a, new, a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Verse 37, no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. Then it says, but new wine must be put into what kind of bottles? New bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. You should know that in the Bible there were no such things as bottles. In other words, what we know as bottles today did not exist in those days. What it's actually speaking about 
is that in those days they would take animal skin and uh, sew it up to, uh, into the shape of a container that would hold liquid. There was usually uh, some animal skin and these skins only lasted for a certain period of time. And the reason why it says that you cannot put new wine in old bottles is because uh, in those days they did not have refrigeration. There was no way to preserve something other than uh, meat was salted and they would preserve the salt for a while. But when it came to things like uh, uh, grape juice, which is what it's referring to, uh, the grape juice would begin to, after a while, with the heat of the sun beating upon those bottles, would begin to cause the wine to, to uh, ferment. And the fermentation process then, those skins would stretch. And if the skins were uh, old skins, they would, would become brittle. And so if you put grape juice and the grape juice began to, to ferment, it would begin to expand the bottle or the skin, and because they were brittle, they would actually break and the grape juice would be lost. Do you understand what it's saying now? Therefore, when it's speaking about you cannot take new wine and put it in old bottles, it's simply that, that the, the skins would stretch, and if they were new skins, they would stretch without any problem, and the wine would be preserved. If they were old skins, they could not stretch too much, and the skins would break. And so that's the analogy that Jesus is using, but he is using this analogy to refer to us. To whom? To us. To you and to me. It is you and, and I, or you and me, that God is really speaking about. When we see these analogies, we ought to look at them and see what is God trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell me? And so, how does this fit into my experience? Well, when you and, uh, and I come to God, most of the time we come to God as old bottles. Now, we don't like to consider ourselves being old and being bottles. <laughs> but the Bible says that we are like old bottles. Now, we're old bottles in many different ways. We're not only old bottles because we may become quite old in our, in our normal life experience. I've, I've met people who, in their 86th year of life, said to me, why didn't somebody come to me before? I wish somebody had told me this before. Now I'm so old that there's not much that I can do for God. And they actually cried because they felt excited about what they discovered, but limited because of their age. We also may be old bottles just simply from the fact that we're stuck in our own ways. We're what? Stuck. We're stuck in our own ways. When somebody's stuck in their own ways, it means that they're not willing to change. Uh, and the reason why it says that there are people who are so used to the old stuff that they don't want the new stuff. For example, let me ask you a question. How many of you, before you came to the Lord, had a different way that you ate? Any of you? Can I see your hands? All right. Now, I have to confess to you that before I became uh, a believer in the Lord and before I learned anything about health from the Bible, 
uh, I was not very health conscious. Uh, I was very active because I was in show business, and as it had been announced, I, I used to play bass uh, with the Comets, Bill Hale and the Comets. And uh, one of the things that I did with the Comets was I was a, a soloist. And so many times in my, when it came time to perform, I would actually do a split and take the bass guitar and put it behind my neck and play a solo while the fellas would uh, stand with their legs astray. And I would actually, in my split, walk underneath these guys while I was playing a bass solo. So I was pretty well fit. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, I can still do the split, by the way. But I have to confess to you that uh, even though I was uh, fit, my uh, eating habits were not contributing to my fitness. When it came time for me to become a, uh, a Christian, and I began to read the Bible and discovered that the Bible does have counsels on health, uh, it was a little challenging. For example, in my home, being a Puerto Rican, one of the things that you always did at Christmas time or Easter, uh, the times of festivity, was that uh, we would buy something, or my, my uh, mother would make what was called morcilla. Now, for those of you who don't know Spanish, uh, and some of you who even though you may know Spanish may not know what morcilla is, uh, some of you may know the word chitlings. Any of you know the term chitlings? Okay, it is basically in the intestines of the pig, and in Puerto Rico, they stuff it with rice and spices, and then they uh, cook it. And to us, that was a delicacy. And what? Delicacy. A delicacy. Now, I can see some of you saying, Ugh, how can you call the intestines of a pig delicacy? Well, we thought so. In fact, when it came to the house, we were six boys, and an argument would ensue as to who would get the biggest piece. You understand? And so, uh, then, of course, I was a great coffee drinker. We grew up in the home where coffee was part of our culture. So in the morning, we were introduced to a cup of coffee. Uh, in the afternoon, and when I was in show business, we drank coffee, 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 coffee all the time. And so, uh, my taste buds were trained not to relish what the Bible talked about. So as far as the Bible is concerned, I was an old bottle. A what? An old bottle. And some of us are, as, as the Bible reveals, stuck in the mud, as it were. We uh, also may have habits, things that we like to do, that we have become so used to that when somebody comes and talks to us about our habits not being good habits, we do not respond uh, well. We don't like to change. We become animals of habit. And when Christ tries to reach us, the reason why it's so difficult for heaven to get through to us is because we are so cemented in our ways that it's difficult for us to see the need to change. And so it says, old wine, somebody who's used to old wine will not like the new wine because he says the old wine is better. And so 
when uh, I finally accepted the message of the Lord, I discovered that the Lord is not only concerned about my spiritual well-being, but my physical well-being as well. What do you say? And there's a lot of excellent counsel in the Bible concerning uh, how to live better. In fact, praise God that once I discovered the good counsel from the Scriptures and applied it in my life, I've been able to keep up with young people in basketball. I should tell you that I'm 63 years old. How old? 63. Now, uh, I was playing basketball right here in the gym uh, about two years ago, and a, somebody came to visit. He happened to be about 18 years old. He was well built, uh, uh, healthy and strong, and we were playing basketball, and he had the ball, and all of a sudden I had the ball. And he was shocked because I came up so quick behind him that uh, by the time he knew it, I had the ball and I was running with it. And so he came up to me and says, hey man, how old are you, 35? <laughs> I said, no, I'm 61 at that time. You're 61, he said? Man, I hope that when I get your age, I'm as in good shape as you are. Amen. Well, God has good counsel for all of us, where? In the Bible. But here's the challenge that God has. The challenge that God has is that too often we are stuck in our ways and unwilling to change or see no reason why we need to change. And so God considers us to be old bottles. And so when he says that uh, new wine will burst the bottles, the Bible compares the gospel to new wine. See, the message of God is new wine, fresh wine. As it were, fresh squeeze grape juice. And when that new wine comes to us, if we are, are solidified in opposition, then, then there's no way that God can change us and make us what we should become. And so, one of the things that God has to do is that He has to make us new bottles. And so the gospel is not just something that affects us uh, philosophically speaking. The gospel is something that affects us inwardly, that makes us new people. And that's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. See? Now notice what else it says. If you're reading the text, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old, what kind of things? Old, old things are passed away. Behold, all, A-L-L, -L, things become new. Now you have a correlation between that verse and what we just read in Luke. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All the things are passed away. Behold, how many things? all things become new. Now it's scary when you consider the reality that if you dare to accept the gospel that you're going to have to change. And that's challenging. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. When the, the gospel came to me through the mouth of my brothers who had uh, ch changed, we grew up in New York City 
And uh, we grew up in the days of the West Side Story. Uh, in fact, the West Side Story is, is almost like a lullaby in comparison to what we were actually experiencing in our lives. All of us, all my brothers, were into some sort of uh, mischief. Um, my brother Hector was the warlord of the largest Puerto Rican gang in New York City. Uh, my other brother Gene was uh, into terrorism. Um, we were, I was, at the age of 12, I was a warlord of a gang. And so we were all into all sorts of uh, uh, extracurricular activities. Um, when the gospel came to me, it was when I was in show business. And I had just, just uh, become part of that famous group, the Comets. Uh, we had done several shows. Uh, we began touring. And the interesting thing is that we got a contract to do a world tour. And in this world tour, it, there was a, a segment included that we would go and compete against the Beatles. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard of the Beatles, correct? And I was really looking forward to competing against Paul McCartney uh, as a bass player. And uh, our drummer, Bang Bang, better known as uh, his actual name was Johnny Lane, uh, he was looking forward to, to drumming circles around Ringo Starr. Uh, Bang Bang was actually quite apt at his performing and uh, competed against Gene Krupa, if any of you have heard of uh, that famous drummer. Now, when I went home on a vacation leave is when I encountered this strange idea that perhaps it was a god. The reality was that I discovered that there was a god. And that frightened me because prior to that, uh, in fact, about two years prior to that, I was in a drug party. And in that particular drug party, after everybody was inebriated or intoxicated or some people say hi, uh, we had about 50 bikers, like the Hells Angels, that followed us. And everybody now was, was uh, affected by whatever they took. While we were sitting together, somebody raised the question, who is God? And we began to discuss God through the whole entire night. And as we discussed God through the entire night, I can still remember today the actual conversation, I can remember the actual uh, conclusions that we arrived at. And I don't know how that is because I also had taken something that had altered my ability to, to think. But I can still remember precisely the conversations and the wrong conclusions we had arrived at. When I left that place uh, and I was going toward my, what we used to call the pad, uh, my house, the, the, the thought that struck me was this. If there's a God, we are in serious trouble. See, that's the thought that struck me. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that I relish that thought? No. Uh, that thought was a very frightening thought. And I thought, man, if there's a God, we're in serious trouble. So I shunned that thought because I didn't want to have that feeling of fear or guilt on me. So I displaced it, put it someplace in the path, behind me. And so 
When I arrived at home about two years later, and my brother had become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I thought that that term, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, was a name of some disease. Uh, I had never heard of Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, uh, when, when they came to talk to me, my brother came to talk to me about God, I just said, look, uh, keep it to yourself, buddy. I don't want to hear it. You understand? He said, you don't understand. I said, I do understand. If you keep on talking to me about religion, we're going to have to fight. So he walked away. Now, was I a new bottle? I was a what? An old bottle. You understand? I was afraid. I was what? Afraid, afraid that if I accepted this new uh, strange idea that I would have to give things up. And I did not want to give up the opportunity to have that world tour and especially to compete against Paul McCartney. About three years ago, I was in Hungary, and uh, a disc jockey from the town where I was discovered that I had performed with the Comets, and so he wanted to interview me uh, in, on television, and then he wanted to, to uh, have me meet as many musicians in town as possible. Because when he was a little boy, communism had come into Hungary, and it was against the law to have any, anything American. And so what he did was uh, his mother actually surprised him on his birthday and gave him the 45 of Rock Around the Clock. How many of you are acquainted with that? One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock? Okay, that was the song of Bill Haley and the Comets. All right, so uh, Anne gave him a, uh, one of those old square record players that you played a 45. And so he would get together with his buddies. They would put uh, pillows against the walls, uh, pardon me, against the windows in the basement. And then they would put pillows over themselves and listen to Rock Around the Clock. Okay? It was the only connection they had with freedom. So when, they did, when he discovered that a, a bass player of the Comets was in his town, he went berserk. He invited all of the musicians from the town. And so there were about 300 musicians that showed up to meet this old dinosaur. And so the interesting thing is this, that he had a clip of a performance in Germany that the Comets did precisely the concert that I was supposed to play in. There were over 100,000 people in the audience. And Bill Haley said, I'm 45, but I can still rock around the clock. Okay? Well, people did not understand his statement, but I did. I was very close to the, to the, the, the situation. Bill was feeling uh, being uh, rejected, as it were, by the community because I don't know if you know this or not, but Bill was first claimed to be the king of rock. Did you know that? That was his first title. But when Elvis Presley came along, he was better looking than Bill, and uh, he also uh, sang better than Bill. 
So the title of king was passed on to Elvis, and guess what Bill was called? The father of rock and roll. Now, if you're trying to act cool and be young and you're called a father, how do you feel? <laughs> you understand? And so when he said, I'm 45 and I can still rock around the clock, I thought, oh, Bill is still suffering from that rejection. And I was thankful to God that I was still alive seeing that clip and all the other guys have passed away. I'm thankful that God spoke to me when he did. Now, you can understand the challenge that I had. I did not want to give up the sensation, the excitement of traveling around the world and performing and being famous. Do you understand? Especially since I was born very poor, desperately poor, and now here I was having the, the opportunity of a lifetime. But when the call from God came and the conviction came that there was a God who was alive and real, and I felt con compelled to have to consider that, my friends, I have to tell you this, that God had to demonstrate to me that he was real. And the way he did it, in a brief, was simply this. I had those habits, and I never thought that I could ever change. Did you hear that? Never thought I could ever be delivered from those things. And I simply said, God, if you're there, take these things away from me. And I felt a peace that came over me, and when I stood up, I had the certainty that I was free. And I have to tell you this, that was in 1968. And since that time to today, I have never felt a desire, never felt a longing, never had the, 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 uh, the agony that people go through, through withdrawals, etc. I praise God that he took things from me instantly. The reason for that is simply I believe that I was willing to become a new bottle. And because I was willing to say, God, if, if you're there, change me, he demonstrated his reality that he was a real God who lived and reigned and could hear prayers and answer them. And friends, I can tell you that from that moment on, I felt this burden lifted up, and I have never again, never again, I see people smoking, I have no desire to smoke. I see people drinking, they offer me beers, because I travel in many, many circles, and people say, oh, would you like a wine? I, I fly on a plane, for example, and uh, many times they upgrade me and put me in first class. And what do you suppose they always offer in first class? Would you like, would you like wine? I'm offered wine all the time. Friends, I have no desire whatsoever to taste it. Yet at that time, I remember that I always drank. God had to make of me a new bottle so that the new wine would not break me. God has to make of you new bottles. 
But you must come to the place in your heart where you're willing to say to God, God, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to change anything. I'm willing to, to do whatever you want me to do if you will do for me what I need. And that is, I need a new heart. I need a new mind. I need you to change me from within so I could become a new bottle. And as you accept that challenge and you're willing to place yourself in God's hands, God can make of you a different person. Now listen, there are many times that I've experienced people change. And I could tell you many, many stories of people who have changed and become new bottles. But more importantly than that, I could tell you that once people became new bottles, they don't stay the same. Christianity is not a static experience. Christianity is an a, a active experience, something that continues to grow and develop. In other words, when God calls you, He doesn't leave you where you are. He continually works in you to help you to become more and more and more like Him. And so, you can understand now when it says, no man could put new wine in old bottles. You must become a new bottle. Now, he was talking to the people in his days who were Pharisees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were people who were stuck on tradition. On what? Tradition. On tradition. And the problem with tradition today is that the word tradition is no longer used. Today, the term is used as culture. Is what? Culture. culture. And you can well understand that if you change the word from tradition and customs to culture, then you have a difficult time understanding why you need to change since culture is something that's good. You see? So for the individual who really wants to change, it doesn't matter what term is utilized. You have to look in your own heart and you have to say, Lord, do I need to change? And, but you must be honest with yourself. Because if you're not honest with yourself, and you don't sense the need to change, then you're stuck in the mud. You may not realize it. I think you've heard people say, I can't see what's wrong with this. How many of you have heard that? Well, you know, when somebody says, I can't see, what does that tell you? Uh, they're blind. They're what? They're blind. And so a person that can't see, obviously, they're not going to be able to determine uh, why it is that they have to change. But when you come to God, it's not about that I cannot see. It's about what God sees. And if you're open to the Spirit of God, God will reveal to you where it is that you need to change and what changes you need to make. But you must be sincere and honest with yourself. And if you're honest with yourself, then God can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the, what God is offering to us. He's not offering to us to be the same old person. And what's amazing is that God can change even old people. And you take in, this, in the Bible experiences of people who were old and who were young. For example, we know that Moses was 80 years old when God called him. So for those of you who are hoary-headed, there's hope. What do you say? God can still make of you something different. For those of you who are young, can God change you? The answer is what? Absolutely so. God must change you. It doesn't matter who you are, what level uh, of age you're in. What's important is 
what God is able to do, but He's the one that determines the changes you need to make. It isn't up to you to say, well, God, look, just change this and uh, don't change that. The reality is that when God wants you, He wants all of your heart. How much? All. all of your heart. And you must be willing to say, Lord, listen, help me to be willing. Because honestly, many times we are not willing. We recognize that we need to make some changes, but we're not willing to make some, those changes. If we're honest, then we can say, God, listen, I need to change, but I don't want to change, but I know I need to change. And so give me the ability to be willing to change. And if you do that, then you are doing what the Bible indicates a man did. When a man came to Christ with a son who was possessed, and the man said, If thou canst do anything, then help us. And Jesus said, If you believe, all things are possible. And the man then realized that the problem was not with what God could do. The problem was that he had unbelief. He had what? Unbelief. unbelief. And when you come to God, you cannot come to Him with unbelief. Because the Bible says, For he that cometh to Him, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of him that diligently seeks him. So, you must believe. You must what? Believe. believe. Now, it's hard to believe when you've never come to God. And it's hard to believe when you don't realize that there is a God, just like myself. I was Godless. I didn't believe in God. I, I really came to a place in my experience when uh, I... I despised religion. I, I uh, detested people who I thought were phonies and, and using God as a crutch, etc. In fact, unfortunately, I came to the place in my experience where I thought that, that uh, religion was for the old and the ugly. Let me explain what I'm saying. I thought if you were ugly, you might as well go to church because you couldn't make it outside in the world. And... If you're old, you might as well go to church as well because there's nothing you could do out there in the world. But if you're, you know, handsome, good-looking, etc., and you were young, there's a lot you could do in life. Well, the reality is that, that you and I understand now that that's not the, the truth. But that's where my mind was. And so when it came to the time when I was challenged with this whole idea of God, uh, I had to experience God in my life. And that's all right. God is willing to do things uh, to help you to become a believer. Those of you who are watching out there, perhaps you have felt yourself stuck in the mud, as it were. Perhaps some of you might say, well, I can't help myself. My dad had a bad temper, and so I have a bad temper. So you may have a mother who, who, who's been into alcoholism. You say, I can't help myself. My mom always drank, and so I, I, I drink. Uh, or there are other challenges in life that, that are out there. And you may feel yourself stuck, as it were. I remember as a young lad, the first time I felt, I felt hopeless was when uh, one of my teachers in the eighth grade stood up before us and said to us, that psychologists and psychiatrists have just did a research and concluded that if you happen to be born uh, of a parent who is on welfare, who drinks, who, uh, 
whose father carries a, a razor blade in the back pocket, whose hair is greasy, uh, then you will be just like your parents. See, that's, that's what he said. Psychologists and psychiatrists have discovered that you're stuck in the mud. And as he was saying that, uh, he was identifying me. See, in those days, I didn't have a lot of money because we were very poor, and I remember that I wanted to look like alfalfa. <laughs> I don't know how many of you remember alfalfa. Alfalfa was a guy who would part his hair in the middle and have a little twig of hair sticking up from the little rascals. How many of you have heard of, of uh, alfalfa, okay? Well, I thought since he was the, 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 the guy that seemed to always attract the young ladies, I thought if I could just look like alfalfa, then I'd you know, arrive. But how do you become a, an alfalfa? Well, in my little small mind, I went to my mother's cupboard and she had a, a can of Crisco lard, you understand? And so I took the lard and put it on my hair so it could be greasy and, you know, I could comb it uh, with a split in the, in the middle. And I needed something strong enough to keep, keep that twig of hair sticking up. And Crisco lard did it, you see? And so I went outside after I, I plastered my hair with Crisco lard and uh, to, you know, be the uh, gazing stock of the girls. And uh, I, my bubble was burst because <laughs> the girl came up to me and, and she said, what do you have in your hair? And she said, you stink. <laughs> well, that was it for me. But the point is this, folks. The reality is this, that I wanted to do something to change. Do you understand? And it was not until later that I discovered that I was, without God, actually stuck in the mud. That I was actually following in the footsteps of my dad, who had abandoned us, and he was a womanizer, etc. Uh, it's a terrible thing to feel like there's no hope, like you're stuck. It's a wonderful thing to discover that no one needs to be stuck. Amen. That there's a God that can take you out from your situation and make something different of you. And I'm a testimony, a witness to the reality that God can take you out of the muck and the mire and make something different of you. Listen, when I first became a Christian, I have to tell you that I had dropped out of school, and in dropping out of school, uh, I, first of all, didn't like English anyway. I don't know how many people do. <laughs> but I left school, and I became famous. So who needs school, you understand? And any time I needed to learn a, 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 a new song, all I had to do was listen. I had, I had good ears. I actually taught myself how to play an instrument. I didn't have a teacher. We were too poor to have teachers to teach us music. So I taught myself. I taught how to play guitar. I taught myself how to play the bass. And uh, I developed the expertise in, in, uh, and refined my, my abilities to, uh, to the point where I became what I, what I became. Uh, 
the the uh, the reality is that even though I uh, I excel at that level uh, and learn those things, I still had difficulty reading. Uh, and so if I needed to learn the words of something, I would listen to the record. It was only when I could not decipher what the singer was saying that I would actually try to find the words. See? So everything was by ear. And uh, when I became a, a, a Christian, when I was converted and I wanted to be baptized, I went to the pastor and asked him if I could be baptized. He said, well, you can't be baptized until you study this. And he gave me a pack of, of Bible studies. I couldn't even, I couldn't even <laughs> read those ten-letter words. For example, Nebuchadnezzar, you see. <laughs> I could pronounce it now, Nebuchadnezzar. But in those days, I couldn't even figure out how to pronounce that thing. And when I opened the Bible, I found the book of Job. And I wonder how come there were jobs, you know, from the Bible, you know, <laughs> Well, that's how you spell job, isn't it? All right. In other words, friends, what, uh, I was very limited. But when he gave me that stack of, of, of Bible lessons that I needed to study, I didn't tell him. I was too embarrassed to let him know that I didn't have a reading ability of that level. My reading ability was see, spot, jump, etc. Okay. And so when he gave me that, I thought I would have to spend a millennium with the devil learning these things. You understand what I'm saying? I thought I'd never get baptized. So I just simply appealed to him and I said, listen, I want, I want to follow God and uh, I'd like to be baptized. And I promise you that I'll read these for the rest of my life. I'll study it for the rest of my life. He said, all right. So he, uh, he made a judgment call and I was baptized. And friends, listen, from that moment on, I was drafted and I wanted to learn to read. Wanted to learn to what? Read. To read. Because if I was going to learn how to understand God's will, I needed to learn to read. You know what I did? I, I, uh, I was drafted during the Vietnam War, and I took with me a set of Bible commentaries. There were seven volumes. They're called the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentaries. I took the seven volumes. They're about, they're about this thick, okay? And I took in my duffel bag. I also got a dictionary and put it in my duffel bag. You know why? Because a lot of those words I didn't know how to pronounce. In fact, I didn't even know what they meant. So I went into the army with this duffel bag, besides all the other stuff I had to carry, and I spent time and prayer agonizing and asking God to help me to understand. And, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. And today I'm an author. Now, what does that mean? God can. What did I say? God can make of us new. What do you say? In other words, my friends, the one that limits God is who? Yeah. You can say me. We limit God. When God is so anxious to do for us more than we can think or ask. Just think about it in your own experience. You come here, for example. How many of you have, have had a desire to be able to give a Bible study? Okay. But you haven't. Why? 
Why? Hmm? Not enough knowledge. But you see, here's the problem. Who is the one that gives knowledge? Who is it? It's God, see? That's what the Bible says. God is the one that gives wisdom. In fact, he says in James chapter uh, 1, it says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will what? He will give it, you see? So where's the problem? Where does it lie? Does it lie with God or does it lie with us? With us. We limit God. Why? Because too often times we're stuck in the mud. We're all bottles when it comes to witnessing for God. We feel that we can't do it. And so what we do is many times we pay our offerings and tithe hoping that somebody else will do it. Isn't that true? Or we may say something like this. Well, it's not my gift. How many of you have, have heard that? Can I see your hands? Now, honestly, how many of you have said that? Can I see your hands? Let me say this to you, brethren. It ain't so. Now, I'm using the old vernacular. It isn't so. Why is, is it not so? Because it is not about you. It's about God. If God can take a Steve Pritchard, all right, who stutters and makes him an evangelist, then what about you? Do you understand what I'm saying? If God can take, listen, I, I can tell you of all sorts of people. How many of you have heard of David Asherick? How many of you have heard him preach? All right. My, my boy David, I love him. Uh, but when I was training him, he, uh, he did some bloopers. I don't know if you know what that means. Uh, he doesn't like me to share this. But, uh, but I mean, those, those kids, uh, you know, I mean, they were, they were on fire. It's like old uh, Ron Halverson, the evangelist Ron Halverson. He, when he became converted. He was so enthused. And he was preaching a, an evangelistic meeting one night. And he was telling people about Daniel in the, in the lion's den. But he wasn't using Daniel. You know who he was using? David in the lion's den. And so he was talking about David in the lion's den. But he was so convincing that people who left thought, well, maybe at some time David was in the lion's den. Okay. The reality is, friends, that, that it's not about us. It's about God. Uh, from the time that David started, uh, I remember one time he... <laughs> He, uh, he was preaching an evangelistic meeting, and he came up with some story for the appeal. And when he told the story, <laughs> I was sitting back over there dying. And I was thinking, where in the world did he get that story? <laughs> See? And the story was about a certain uh, a guy who was very ugly, and he was in love with a, with a lady who was very beautiful. Okay? And, uh, and, 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 and finally, this guy wanted to get with this girl, but she didn't want to have anything to do with him because he was ugly. So finally, he confessed to her the truth. And, 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 and David said, and this is a true story. All right. So then he says, he said that the man then told her the reality. The reality is that when God made them, that he was supposed to be handsome and she was supposed to be ugly. And so he said to God, God, no, 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 make me ugly and make her beautiful. 
And when she discovered that he was willing to sacrifice his beauty and have her be beautiful, then she fell in love with him. Okay? And this is a true story, all right? And so I was in the back saying, but you know, there were 147 people baptized in that meeting. How many? 147 people baptized. God used David because David was willing to believe that God could use him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And David has developed and has grown to be a, a fine evangelist, a fine speaker. But that's not the way he started out. What he did was he was willing to let God change him. Let what? Let God change him. That's where it began. It did not begin because David was uh, very, very well equipped as an evangelist. It began because David was willing to let anything go so he could follow the Lord. And I could tell you about many others out there who are serving God today, who have come through Mission College, who have learned to become uh, successful soul winners, not because they came here uh, already spick and span and shining as evangelists, but because they, they had a desire. They were willing to say, God, I don't want to continue to be what I am. I want to see some change in my life. I want to do something for you. And friends, when you're willing to do that, God takes note of that and is willing to make of you that which you would never believe in your life you would become. You know, when I love show business, I left it with these thoughts. First of all, the challenge was if I become a Christian, I won't have any fun. And for a young person who's 21 years old, what's the greatest thing you like to have? Fun. It's fun. So... I also thought if I become a Christian, I'll have to leave the high area that I'm in and end up working in a dingy old factory with the rest of the immigrants in New York. Because that's what the immigrants did. When they went to New York, uh, they would find a job in a machine shop or, or some uh, broom factory or something, and that's what they would do. And to me, the thought was humiliating to, to drop from from where I was all the way down to ending up again to be nothing more than a, an immigrant. And so these, these challenges were very daunting to me. You understand what I'm saying? I could not see my way through it. And then I loved to travel. And I thought if I leave show business, that would be the end of my travel. I would never be able to do anything else and be stuck in New York City, in Brooklyn of all places. Well, in the face of all that, I was willing to trust God. I was willing to say, God, you do for me what you've done for my brothers. I called up the band and I said, I've quit. In fact, if you go on the internet to uh, one of the websites, if you take my name, Louis Torres, and then you, you, you may find uh, uh, a website for Bill Hale and the Comets. It's interesting that in that website, that what they say is this. 
While with the comets, Taurus found religion. That's what it says. While with the comets, Taurus found religion. But I didn't find religion. I found God. Yes. There's a great difference. What do you say? Religion can't change you. Many times we find that religion really is, is, is the hindrance to people changing. Because once people are religious, they feel they're okay. And religion can become the greatest hindrance to a, to, for God to change the heart. And I've knocked on many doors where people would slam the door in my face and say, I am such and such. But the fact that they can slam the door in somebody's face demonstrates that whatever they claim to be, there's something missing in their lives. What do you say? They can declare to be anything. But if they treat a fellow citizen, a fellow person who's only knocking on the doors to see if they're interested in God, and they can slam the door in the, in the face, it means then that they really don't know God. They're religious. And it was the religious people in Christ's day who crucified Christ. So it's not about religion. It's about one who can change the life. What do you say? Amen. It's not about uh, tradition. It's about becoming new bottles. Becoming what? New bottles. But can you change yourself? No. Who is willing and able to change you? It is God who can change you. And so I can tell you all sorts of experiences, young people, of people who have been changed, people who have become great instruments in God's hands uh, because they were willing. Because of what? They were willing. They saw that the, the challenges were daunting. They recognized that uh, in their own frail uh, experience that they could never amount to, to do this, to do that. But it was not about whether they could do it. It's about whether God could do it. And God took people who were nobodies, who seemed to be uh, ill-equipped, who could never, never uh, seem to accomplish anything, and God used them greatly. Listen, in Australia, I go to Australia quite often, about every other year, uh, to teach and to train people over there. And I used to go to a church called Waitara. The Waitara Church, uh, it's, a, it's in a white-collar neighborhood. Um, engineers, professionals live in that, that area. And the pastor felt that, that these people could be reached if only the members could be trained. And so he invited me. I went and trained the members. And, of course, there were, uh, the church members were desirous of, of becoming effective. And so that was good. I began to train them. Today, that church has two church services in the morning. Wow. How many? Two. two church services in the morning. Uh, the, 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 among them was, I remember one of the gentlemen. He was a dear old gentleman. But he was a, a bachelor. And as a bachelor, he didn't even know how to combine colors. So he looked like a Christmas tree. You understand? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, some, some men have problems like that. That's why you have wives that, you know, say that doesn't match. But this guy didn't have a helpmate, so he was in big trouble. Even though he, he looked like a Christmas tree, he had a burden. And he went knocking at the mansions. And 
several people became church members. And here's what they said. He was like a pit bull. He came to our home and he would offer uh, a book called The Great Controversy. And then he talked to us about the mark of the beast and the beast. That's his, that was his opening subject. Well, <laughs> you, don't, you don't talk to people about the beast and the mark of the beast as your opening subject. He didn't know any better. Even though I taught him how to do better, he'd still follow his own way, see? Well, the amazing thing is that I've heard a testimony from several people who came up in front, they were crying as they shared their, their story. They, they, they would say to him, get lost, get away from my house. Well, you don't understand, sir. And he would actually weep for, for them and, 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 and appeal to them, but please, at least consider this book. All right, give me the thing. And so they said, we couldn't get rid of the guy. But he would go then and give studies and uh, they wept with joy because God, through that man, was able to change their lives, and they too became new bottles. So let me ask you the question. How many of you would like to become new bottles? Any of you? Listen, God is able, it's up to you and to me, to believe. To what? Believe. You must believe. And if you believe, then you must place yourself where God can do for you just what he wants to do for you. And so, my friend, trust God. Believe in God. Don't allow yourself to feel like you're stuck. Remember, you can't change yourself, but God can. Let us pray together. Our Father, thank you so much for your promise of making us new bottles. Forgive us where we have uh, hindered you and help us to be willing to be made willing. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.